Thank you for joining us for Seton Reflections, a podcast brought to you by the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmonsburg, Maryland. You can read these reflections at setonshrine.org or subscribe to these weekly emails and get them sent directly to your inbox. This week, our episode is called St. Elizabeth Ann Seton and the Lightness of Divine Mercy, and is written by Elizabeth Scalia. When Portia implores Shylock to show mercy upon the merchant, Antonio, in Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, Shylock responds, On what compulsion must I? Tell me that. This prompts Portia into one of the bard's most memorable, instructive, and cleverly complex speeches. The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. Upon the place beneath it is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. Portia bases her argument on a concept of mercy that is not so much differently understood by Shylock, who feels like any mercy from his side must be compelled or forced from him in light of the law, as differently emphasized. Judaism certainly knows and acknowledges the God of mercy, but the traditionally viewed privilege of studying the Talmud within Judaism means that the letter of the law must always be considered and attended to without any action of mercy. There is, therefore, an ever-present tension between justice and mercy. We see the tension within the Gospels, where Jesus continually mediates between the concerns of the Pharisees, so entwined with the law and therefore with God's justice, the people, and the incontrovertible fact that God can and does and will transcend law for the sake of love. We even see this in the Acts of the Apostles, where the fledgling community of Christians is trying to learn how to balance reasonable concern for what is just or fair, particularly in material distributions and such, against everything Jesus had taught them about giving freely, even when it seemed to counter logic. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 to 45, we read, You have heard that it was said, An eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand him your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go with him for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father, for he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good, and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. This discourse of Christ could not help but be radical bit of business for the first century Jews. It threw a wild, untamed weight of mercy onto the delicate scales of perceived justice, all willy-nilly without care for outcomes. Up until then, those scales had been used as a means of justifying mercy, as it were, of meting out mercy within the perimeters of the law and the hard old world, itself so inclined toward vengeance and harsh measures meant to maintain control over the caprices of human minds and hearts. Now, and quite abruptly, the earliest Christians were being challenged to disregard those weights and measures that held their society together, and that required some willing negotiation and, of course, spiritual growth. The tension by which we consider justice and mercy, deciding almost daily what both look like and how, and to whom, 
they may be dispensed is still with us. Whether the concerns are religious or civic, we tend to choose a side or an ideology and then seek harsh justices for some, extreme mercies for others. For evidence that this is so, I refer you to any portion of social media. The truth is, whether we are people of faith or agnostic, whether we might be called bleeding hearts or dogmatists, the human heart is forever struggling to justify extending mercy toward one person, even while turning a blind eye to the same action in the other. It's human nature. And this is why humans cannot truly be trusted to figure out mercy. On mercy, we tend to stumble, possibly because when the whole idea of unconstrained mercy is suggested to us, our own wounds, scars, resentments rear up, reminding us when perhaps we were in need of mercy and were not shown it. Or perhaps we were shown mercy and squandered it. Either way, mercy does not rest as easily in the conscious as justice can, which is perhaps why it does not spring from us as often as it should. And that's why divine mercy is so very important. For the sake of his sorrowful passion, God in heaven has put a premium on mercy. He has given over justice to Christ for the sake of his own being, which is 100% love and can therefore be nothing else. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton lived in an era between Shakespeare's words on mercy and J.P. II's actions, but she would have understood them both perfectly, as she was well acquainted with the mercy of God and the sort of gratitude with which we should answer it and then model it for others. Do I realize it? The protecting presence, the consoling grace of my Redeemer and God, he raises me from the dust to feel that I am near him. Being raised up from the dust with the reassurance that we're drawn to God and finding our troubled soul's consolation there, that's the very definition of a mercy that is not strained, but divine. Mm-hmm.